trust the movement, I negate the chaos, uplift the negative, I'll show up at the table again and again. Welcome to Grassroot Ohio, conversations with everyday people working on important issues here in Columbus and all around Ohio. I'm Carolyn Harding, and today I'm talking with Kiara Yakita, Jessica Smiley, and Burnett Turner. A Sisterhood for Black Lives, which has taken a daily and nightly stand in Columbus, Ohio Metro for Black Lives Matters since George Floyd's murder. They are committed to justice for all. Kiara Yakita is a Cincinnati native and has lived in Columbus for two years. She's an artist and activist, passionate about uplifting Black women. She's been an active participant in Black Lives Matters in the Black Lives Matters movement since the murder of Trayvon Martin. She's created marches, rallies, and community events. She created the Black Lives Matter Central Ohio social media pages and formed the Sisterhood for Black Lives. She works full-time in human resources and is finishing her bachelor's degree. She works to provide platforms to Black entrepreneurs, elevating Black artists, and educating and empowering people to vote and participate in democracy. Welcome, Kiara, to Grassroot. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Our next speaker, our guest, is Jessica Smiley. She's been a grassroots volunteer organizer for 13 years. She canvassed President Obama and volunteers with the Ohio Democratic Party, Our Revolution, and other progressive organizations. As a black lesbian and mother to a 12-year-old daughter, her passion lies with both the Black Lives Matter movement and the LGBTQIA rights and protections. She has lived her life through the experiences of racism, sexism, homophobia, and other forms of oppression simply because of who she is and who she loves. These factors drive her passion and keeps the fire in her belly lit. Recently, she has organized and attended protests and rallies at Goodale Park and at the Ohio State House. She creates social media, writes emails, and attends virtual city council meetings to voice her support for legislation to end no-knock warrants, form a citizen review board, demilitarize the Columbus Police Department, and to address Columbus Police Department's presence in our schools. She completed the inaugural Women's March Feminist Organizing School and Supermajority Leaders Program and is part of a nationwide network of feminists and others working to defeat Trump and Trumpism. Welcome, Jessica. So good to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> and our third um, friend and um, co-activist is Burnett Turner. She's an Ohio native who currently lives in Columbus. She's an author and retired federal employee who has also been a community advocate, political activist, and organizer of a variety of community events. Whether working on political campaigns, registering and educating voters, lobbying politicians, or actively protesting against social injustices and human right violations, Burnett has been driven by a deep love for people, democracy, and the ideal of equal opportunity. 
She fully believes this country has the ability to live up to its promises and to all people and its responsibility to be good stewards of this land and its many resources. Burnett, welcome today. Thank you, Carolyn. I'm very honored to be here and um, I'm very honored to be here with these other guests. Thank you. It's a wonderful group of guests today. So, friends, your grassroots group has been organizing daily since George Floyd's murder. Where are we today with Black Lives Matter in Columbus, Ohio, after the recent murder of Jacob Blake, the 29-year-old father shot seven times in his back in front of his children, and then the aftermath protests and then the murder by the vigilante young teenage man. Um, tell us where we are right now in Columbus. Kiara, why don't we start with you? It almost feels like we are in this just state of chaos and purgatory. You know, we, especially the three, the three of us on this call, we have been actively organizing, attending other events, promoting events. We have been on the front lines since the beginning and um, the end, very end of May with George Floyd. And we felt the movement hit a bit of a plateau around July. People were starting to think, okay, things are going back to normal and people were stopping protesting as much. And then we had this Jacob Blake situation occur and it was just such a huge shock to us where you know, we're like, again, after spending the entire summer on this meeting, on this movement, we're finding that people just aren't getting it. We still have things occurring like the Jacob Blake situation. And then in response to that, you have the opposition all over the internet, making excuses for the officer that shot him. And then now making excuses for that young boy who was part of a terrorist white militia group and went and killed actually killed Black Lives Matter individuals. Um, he traveled from Illinois to Kenosha with the intent to hunt Black Lives Matter individuals. So this is teaching us that, you know, our work is nowhere near done. We are just, we have to mobilize. We have to continue to be on the front lines. Um, we have an upcoming protest this Sunday to stand in solidarity with Washington DC with the March on Washington but also to garner support and show our outrage for the worsening situation that we're having. You know, there have been progress, but it's been all symbolic. We didn't ask for them to take down statues. We didn't ask Google and Amazon and McDonald's to put on their website that Black Lives Matter to him. While those things are nice and they tug on the heartstrings, the situation with the police and systemic racism is not getting any better and it's clear that it's getting worse. Burnett? Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I feel that things are getting worse. I feel that the collusion between the police and these racist militia is something that we have not seen in a century or more. And it's very disturbing. It's very discouraging. Everybody should be terrified of that. Um, the escalation of that collusion does not bode well for this society. Mm -hmm. And I feel that every person who is anti-racist needs to wake up and they need to fight back. Yes. And there are very, very many ways that we can fight back. And I'll talk about some of those later on, but I, I, I cannot stress 
or emphasize enough what Kiara just said about things are actually getting worse. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. yep. Jessica, what do you see? What do you see in this area, central central Ohio? It is here in central Ohio. Um, again, to couple and piggyback off what Kiara said, we are seeing a bit of a lull, I would say, in participation. Um, we are seeing a bit of a splinter, but I also think that's also a reflection of the chaos that's happening in the greater movement, right? So many things keep happening over and over and over. And, you know, we wake up on Monday or late Sunday evening with, you know, Jacob Blake's situation. And for me as a mother, um, I was mortified. And I think that all of us are. And when I say for me as a mother, I speak from a place not only as a black mother, but as a mom, as a, as a woman, right? And I think that to, again, couple on what both of, you know, Kier and Burnett said, we are at a moment of escalation and it, it does feel as if it is getting worse. It, we, we need to see people rise up. This, this has to be, there has to be an end, right? And the only way we can do that is if we continue to persist, move forward. We do have to make people uncomfortable because these are difficult conversations, but it is our lived reality. And I think that for me, when we talk about anti-racism, it is something that can feel incredibly alienating to some, um, especially to white people having these conversations, but these conversations are long overdue, right? And our mobilization will continue. We do have to you know, continue to grow and, and build our movement and push forward because we know that the stronger we get, the stronger the opposition will be. Um, it is disappointing and incredibly heartbreaking to say the least, but we can do this, right? We're in this for a very long time. And I think that once we start to send our collective message again, right, that Black Lives Matter, that anti-racism is the goal, we will get more people on board. We can see it with the strong allyship around the country and around the globe since May. Um, I just think that we've got to continue to push forward and bring more people in, especially those who say they're anti-racist but aren't sure where to start start with denouncing what happened in Kenosha. Let's start there. If, if you need to start somewhere, let's start with what just happened um, because that is a wake up call for all of America. We've se seen so much violence from the yes. police departments. Um, is, that a, is that a place that kind of like um, encapsulates that where, where um, this racism is really being expressed in a very violent like way. I feel it feels like there are just murderous policemen in almost every every city. Mm -hmm. So and they don't get it. Pardon me. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I I, I want to say it's all law enforcement. Okay. Yes. So mm -hmm. we, we we talk about police departments as a local issue, but let's talk about all law enforcement because we see the hostility in border patrol, right? We see how ICE is detaining people in illegal concentration camps. Yes. We have not had enough conversations about the brutality that happens in the prison systems. And we don't talk about any of the horrible situations that happen inside of institutions or like the psychiatric hospitals for the criminally insane or however I'm 
is stuck is phrased now. I don't know what the politically correct term is. Um, but in policing of all types, we see racism. We see violence directed against people of color. And we see violence directed against the lower class. And so when I talk about racism, you can't really separate that from classism. And so when you talk about racism, you also can't separate that from abuse of power. And when you have abusers in positions of authority, all law enforcement fall into that. Yes. All law enforcement have the potential to be abusers because they are above everyone else. They have qualified immunity, but they also, within systems like the prisons, have so much unchecked and invisible authority. We can't see what's happening in those concentration camps. And yes, I will call them concentration camps because that is exactly what they are. Human rights violations are happening there. So there are people of color all over this country in all types of environments. And so we need to understand that an authoritarian state is being developed right in front of our eyes and has been for a while. So when we talk about Trumpism, and Trump, we're talking about an ideology that has to be addressed. And Trumpism is the new term for fascism. It is the same thing. And we have to not only assign it to Trump, we have to root it out. We have to understand historical context of what we're seeing. We cannot close our eyes and act like what's going on in the United States in this moment in time is separate from all the horrors that have happened before when we imprisoned Japanese citizens, okay, when we when we did the Trail of Tears, when we had slavery, all of this is connected. It is about racism, it is about classism, it is about greed, it is about power and the and the oligarchy wanting to smash the power of the people. And so the the law enforcement has always in this country been the enforcement branch of the oligarchy. And if you do not understand the historical context of that, you cannot actually fight the fight that needs to be fought. So so when you say that, that's how you have to look at the police departments. Mm -hmm. You can't just say, what is the individual local policy? It is a bigger issue than what is the local policy doing. Mm -hmm. This is Grassroot Ohio. I'm Carolyn Harding. Today I'm talking with Kiara Nikita, Burnett Turner and Jessica Smiley, and they are leaders in Columbus, Ohio with Black Lives Matters, Central Ohio. Um, we've been talking about the, the big picture, about authoritarianism and about um, um, policing and, and um, treating people as if we can control them, and, is, and we do, and the power that be does. Kira, mm-hmm. how can we take that big concept and make practical change that can happen in this community right now with with a president that we have that's very authoritarian um, and a, a government that is afraid to, you know, to um, push the envelope. Kira, why don't you give us an idea of what your group is asking for, for change in this, in violence towards people of color? 
So one major thing that we need to do is give power back to the people. I think the system has been broken for so long that we feel like the police and the government have all the power and the people have no options, no choice, and no, particip no participation in our democracy. We are in a democracy. The people are supposed to have power within our own systems, our own government. So in order to change things in our community, right here, right now, we keep marching, not just to complain about the things that are going on, but to demand concrete, tangible change. And some of the things that we've come up with, there are so many different concepts and ideas for this change to occur. Some of the common themes that I'm hearing amongst different organizations, different groups, different political parties, um, we would like to have an independent civilian review board. We wanted the, the citizens to be able to review instances of police violence. And we also wanted to have independent investigations of officer forces being resulting in death. You know, there is such a weak process in investigating deaths and extreme maiming and things like what happened to Jacob Blake. There's virtually no accountability and the fraternal order of police in Columbus essentially is like a get out of jail free card, especially with that qualified immunity. There is no accountability. And we have to think our military is allowed to exercise deadly force on command. Our police are allowed to exercise deadly force on command, but yet the military is held accountable in ways that the police are not. Why is that the case? They are using similar weapons. The Columbus police have military grade weapons that they have used and can continue to use against peaceful protesters, against citizens who are innocent until proven guilty. We always have people complaining that why, why, if you would follow the law, you wouldn't get in trouble. That's not always the case. We have individuals being killed by officers who aren't even the actual suspects. And we need to ask, why does this keep happening, particularly to Black people? Why is it that Black officers aren't out here flying off the handle, killing citizens, but yet it's the white officers who are doing this? And why do we have so many of our white officers on social media openly agreeing with and supporting well-known racist organizations and militias? Um, with the Kenosha shooting, there is visual proof of tweets from officers dispatching those racist militias to handle the protesters. They, there was actually an officer, and I have the tweets that I can share with your viewers, where he told them, we are going to push the Black Lives Matter protesters to you guys, you handle this. So they're being authorized and dispatched by these officers, these thin blue line, three percenters, proud boys are being used to do the dirty work for the officers and we can't allow that anymore. Mm -mm. Are, are there any other policies that, that um, Burnett and Jessica that you, that you believe need to be addressed and then um, solved and mm -hmm. created or passed or solved? Yeah. 
yeah. Don't, whoever wants to go, Renette, where are you gonna go? <laughs> okay, I, I can I can go. So so we can we can talk about the the bail bond system, right? And the fact that we hold people before they are actually even charged with the crime, or before they're arraigned, before they have their day in court, they are held for indefinite amounts of time. They haven't been proven guilty of anything yet. They're simply too poor to go home until a judge gets a chance to hear their case or a jury gets a chance to decide whether or not they're guilty. And, and in that process of giving the police the authority to detain people so that they can be tossed into the system where they are then held and subjected to a whole nother level of violence, there is a whole level of miscarriage of justice happening there. So if we stop empowering the police to participate in the bail bond system by reeling in all these people and knowing that a, the bail bus system is just generating funds for, for the police departments in the cities. It is actually not accomplishing any justice. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's address that issue. If that goes away, then some of these reasons for arrest go away. Some of this engagement with the community go away. We will have less of these encounters with officers because they have no motivation for all of these unnecessary stopping right. and frisking and profiling, yada, yada. So, so that is one immediate thing that we can address. Why are the police stopping people? Because they can throw them into the bail bond system that generates funds for the county, right? Um, so so that's, that's one place. Sorry, Kiara. So there, Oh, there is legislation as well that I feel like people need to be aware of and mm -hmm. back and also to um, increase the effectivity. So we have the Justice and Policing Act yes. that was put forward, HR 7120. Mm -hmm. um, some of the points that I really felt that we needed to back were limited, limiting the qualified immunity as a defense to liability and private civil action against law enforcement. We need to get rid of that get out of jail free card. And then also they wanted to authorize the Department of Justice to issue subpoenas to investigate police for patterns or practices of discrimination. That's that accountability that we're talking about. And then also one thing that I found extremely important was that they wanted to create the National Police Misconduct Registry to compile data on complaints and records of police misconduct. Mm -hmm. Right now, records of police misconduct are pretty much buried in a vault away from the public. Now, when you say they, who are you talking about? Um, this yeah. is a democratic bill, the Justice and Policing Act, mm -hmm. that we all, I think we all really need to know about that. I haven't heard people mentioning this bill. Mm -hmm. and in addition, people see our, our signs and a lot of the rhetoric is regarding defunding the police. Mm -hmm. That's been a big hot topic issue is defunding the police and there's a lot of confusion around that. Mm -hmm. So defunding means we need to take control of our tax dollars. We always hear people complaining, my taxes pay for this and that. But with defunding, it's about moving our tax dollars away from harmful policing and distributing it to more human-centered yes. services, such as education, healthcare, housing, and opportunities. Statistically, we found that in some cities, if you give just 5% less to the police, you could double the public health budget. 
just 5%. We're not saying don't pay any police officers ever. We're not mm -hmm. saying take away their retirement pensions, health insurance, things like that. Just reallocating a small portion of those funds back to the community can provide the community with resources to help them not have to turn to lifestyles that could lead into trouble. And then alongside with that, we need to address the over-policing of Black neighborhoods. We've, I was looking at the United States Sentencing Commission report, and they were saying that Black men are 19.1% more likely to serve longer sentences than white males who committed the exact same crime with similar rap sheets, similar mm -hmm. records. And we need to ask that. And we also, I also read that 87% of Blacks, but 67, 61% of Whites said that the US criminal justice system treats Black people less fairly. So white people are not as clueless about the discrimination, especially amongst law mm -hmm. enforcement. Mm -hmm. People are aware, but they deny. Yeah. All right, I wanna make sure that people know why you're marching, nightly and then also if there's any events coming up that people can join mm -hmm. and what website can people go to to get more information be more aware and be more involved so um jessica let's yeah. start <laughs> of course um i do want to tap talk for one second as far as how to get people, more people involved um we have the election of our lifetime coming up in November. Um, and this is bigger than just getting Trump out of office, defeating Trumpism. We know our power, right? And I, I just want to make it very clear that, yes, there is a lot of spin, a lot of rhetoric that is factually incorrect about voting, right? We need people to be confident in our democracy. If our votes did not matter, they would not be trying so hard to stop us from voting. So that power is what we need to take back and remember that not only have people given their bodies, their blood, and some their lives for the right to vote, it is our duty as citizens to demand, right? That our vote is our voice. That is what our democracy is. And I've been spending a lot of my time educating my local community and making sure that people understand that you can get registered to vote. We can help you. There are options, there are resources, because at this point, People are now starting to understand what happens when we don't participate in the electoral system, right? Our one votes do matter. And it's bigger than just the presidency. It's city council. It is state races, school boards, right? All of these things do impact each and every one of our lives. Jessica, we have one minute left. Yep. So, um, yep. Kiara, give us uh, where people can find you and get more information. Okay, so we have a Facebook page, Black Lives Matter Central Ohio. There is also a group with the same name. And additionally for events, we will post them there. We have a peaceful protest going on in Groveport this Saturday at 11 a.m. There is also a protest at the State House Sunday morning. We can post the exact times. What time? The protest on Sunday, I'll have to put, I'll give you guys that information. I believe it is at 11 a.m., but I'll double check that. And then there's also September 11th, a Black Lives Matter art auction. It's a silent art auction at the Vendorelli Room, and they will donate all proceeds to Black Lives Matter. All right, one more thing. Burnett, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is the amount of 
participation that I see. So we have a lot of white allies who are saying, what can we do? What can we do? We want to defer to black voices. And I, I, I know that that is, that is so crucial and I want to encourage more of that. I also want to encourage white people to find ways to function in white spaces for white roles, right? There are conversations that y'all need to have too amongst yourselves. And, and, th and that, that is a beautiful thing. So. All right. I wish we had an hour. You guys are awesome. You're powerful, you're intelligent, and you're leading. Thank you so much. We will support you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.